precious God for his presence in our midst and for enabling us to worship him in spirit and in truth. I want to also um, make an announcement. Um, we have had a wonderful time praying on Tuesdays in the last semester, gathering in chapel, those who are able to make it. And I use the word praying deliberately. We didn't gather for prayers. We gather praying, praying. And uh, it will come more into reality what I'm getting at for a moment. But this season, there is going to be each week an agenda for prayer and praying that we will have here in Chapel. And it's intended to be local and global. So I encourage you to look on the electronic notice board about what's happening on Tuesdays between 12 and 1 in Chapel. And mind you, if you cannot make it in Chapel and you're aware of what it is while you are on the way with your eyes open and holding the wheel, you can (laughs) pray. You will be praying with us. It is intended to be a communal event. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We are going to be praying together as well as personally. And so I encourage you to take notice of that because it is in the same theme, Jesus' living legacy. And today we deal with the issue of prayer. Well, it was um, a very interesting experience over the Christmas season had a conversation with my 12-year-old granddaughter. And uh, the conversation was about God. And she declared, uh, Papa, I don't believe in God. And so we began to talk about that. And she said to me, well, you see, I was having problems in school bullying. And I prayed to God that things change. But it became worse. And so that just turned me off. And so right now it's conversations taking place and prayers and looking for open doors and opportunities to carry on this discussion about who God is and what God does and can do in our lives. I am not sure if you ever had such experiences or if you know people who have personally walked that journey where their family members or their colleagues or classmates say, you know, I don't believe in what you believe in. And when we pause to ask them, well, tell me why. Or we just dismiss them as people who are really out of it and they need to get help. Sometimes it helps to listen for the why and the wherefores. So this first conversation in chapel this morning stems on the fact of What is praying all about? And where do we find the best example of praying? I want to attempt to promote prayer as a model of practical relationship with God the Father rather than a habit of requesting something from God, which is what gets us into trouble, I believe. And this is based on the general observation of Scripture and specifically the example of Jesus' life himself. The one who is the epiphany of conversation with God and God with us, even in difficult times. In looking at scripture, I reflected on the Old Testament. And although it's not 
explicit, it is certainly implied that there was a conversation that God continued to have with Adam and Eve. Of course, we don't know it until after the fact. But there's that verse that says, And Adam appeared in the garden in the, or rather God appeared in the garden in the cool of the day, and he couldn't find Adam for what? Obviously, a conversation. You see, a conversation implies a relationship which is grounded on an agreement about something that we do together. And so Adam was absent. And of course, you know the rest of the story. But the one that is very explicit is the one with Adam. And it surrounds a word called covenant, which is a deliberate and intentional agreement to have a relationship where both persons have certain responsibilities with each other. And we see that in the book of Genesis uh, chapters 15 to 18. Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. God promised a son. Abraham and Sarah were supposed to respond to God by trusting God to provide a son. And you know the rest of the story. But it is out of that that we find in chapter 17, it's rife with that relational word, covenant. In verses 2, 4, 7, 9, and several others. But the word covenant keeps coming back over and over again. And it is God reminding Abraham, we have a, a relationship. We are not just two people who gather to talk. We are related. There is something about us that is very, very close. We are indivisible from here on. We will not part. And over and over again, we find that word. It, in other words, was talking about a relationship of reverence, respect for God, God's respect for them, a a relationship of responsibility, this is your part, this is mine, a relationship that was rife with that word, covenant, talks about that entailing eternal and universal impact of God's working side by side with Abraham and Sarah. The result were new names for the couple. A relationship brings about change in us. I remember the Magi. After they had met Jesus and worshipped and given their gifts, it said they went another way. We can just dismiss this as just words. I don't think so. If they had gone the other way, it would have been another story in the life of the baby Jesus, the, the child Jesus. They went another way. It tells me that worship changes our lifestyle and our direction, our thinking and our purpose. Things happen when we truly meet with God and worship God. So it was with Abraham and Sarah. He became, rather, Abraham became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Father of many nations, mother of many nations. Things became different because of this relationship. The result was not only new names, the promise of a son, but an offering in conversation that I'm going to save Sodom if I can find ten righteous people there. I wouldn't destroy the city. Of course, you know the rest of the story. The point is, those were conversations. When we are praying, brothers and sisters, to God, it's not saying a prayer. It is having a conversation with God. 
Someone whom we know is listening to us and someone who will respond to us. That's what conversation is, a two-way street. It's not a soliloquy, I'm talking to myself. No, I'm talking to someone who is alive, alert, and aware, and concerned about my existence and my circumstances. And I can trust that one to lean on him. And for him to lean towards me. In the African Baptist tradition is a quotation. We have God sits high and he looks low. Yes, transcendent, but imminent. Above, yet below. The God we serve is a conversational person. And we see that demonstrated in the life of Abraham and Sarah. In the life of the situation with Lot. And we do that today in our own desire to know him. If prayer is regarded as and practiced as conversation, I believe our nurture and practice of this divine habit will be much more creating or creative and engaging. Let's say Evelyn and I have a conversation week after week. Evelyn, would you really be comfortable with me coming and get the same thing over and over every day? The same topic, the same theme, the same tone, everything? No, a conversation has to do with my mood at the moment. The topic we are talking about, your interest in it, because it's a relationship. It's not just a word spoken. And so it is Jesus' living legacy of praying, not prayers. Yancey in his book on prayer, Does It Make a Difference, says, in a discussion of this issue of an answered prayer states, my own emphasis in prayer has moved from petition to companionship, and I no longer agonize over the issue of an answered prayer as I once did. Prayer involves more than bowing my head a few times a day. It pervades all of life and vice versa. It's a relationship. It's an active, dynamic process with one who loves me and whom I love. So whether I'm joining you in chapel on Tuesdays for prayer, or I'm praying while I'm traveling from Halifax, that's what it's all about. It's what connecting with God and connecting with others who are doing the same thing with the same passion. C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying that the dauntless faith required by Jesus occurs only when the one who prays thus was God's fellow worker demanding what is needed for the joint task and I hear in that Matthew 11, 28 and 29 I am your yoke fellow I'm your partner in this process you are not on your own I'm with you as a matter of fact I want you to know that even when you stumble and fall my right hand will uphold you it's a relational issue and the one who loves me, the one who cares for me and walks with me, would not abandon me. And an answered prayer, when we think of it that way, often is rooted in that foundation that says God has abandoned you. My granddaughter said, Things became worse. So do I walk away from her and say, Oh, you don't know anything yet. No. I am 
the living legacy that God has placed in her life. This woman, I sit next to her, I listen. You think God listens to us when we're arguing with Him and fussing over things that aren't happening in life? I believe He does. He doesn't tell us to shut up. He listens. Living legacy is a relationship that goes both ways. Sometimes listening, sometimes speaking, but both taking note of each other. So praying, therefore, in this way, we are reminded that in the New Testament it brings us to Jesus' own model of praying as relational rather than ritualistic. We must in the life of Jesus regard prayer as a pathway to God's presence and we are invited to follow Jesus' example of praying wherever we are. Matthew seems to place praying within a relational context in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus sat there and he was talking to them. If it's in that, it means praying ought to be central in our preaching, in our teaching. Because it's, it's, in the, it's, it's, it's in the middle of that which is important of all of life. And he says, when you pray, not if, but when you pray. Not when you say your prayer, but when you pray, when you talk to me, I will listen. I will listen. Mark seems to present praying as an act modeled by Jesus in specific ways when he went aside and prayed and he came back and awesome things happened. John, or rather Luke, reflects him praying as both actions uh, followed by a request to teach the process. In other words, his prayer life was so wonderful and effective that the disciples couldn't help saying, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I mean, they weren't prayerless. They evidently prayed, but they saw in Jesus something more of a prayer that they wanted, they desired. And so they asked him to teach them that. John appears to show Jesus' model of praying at specific moments. Is it at the baptism or thanksgiving or raising of Lazarus? Prophecy of his death, but mostly. John 17, the high priestly prayer. Conversation. A conversation. Prepared him for the cross. But it was a conversation. And they who were listening heard the conversation with them, keep them from the world and from the things of this world that would destroy them. Help them to be at one with each other because if they are at one, the world will believe them. Church, the world will believe when we are getting along and there's unity in the congregation. The church is a living legacy or ought to be of what it means to be praying with a God of unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One, yet three, unity in community. God is inviting us to do that. And so I leave this with you. Six principles, very short, very brief, and it says this, and they are drawn out of the Lord's Prayer to some degree. As I look at it and I consider praying as a relationship and a conversation, I hear praying, acknowledging the presence of God.
if I say Dr. Robbins, I'm saying that because Dr. Robbins is present. If not, I'm talking to myself. And so when Jesus was saying, when you pray, say our Father, he's saying, when you pray, you are acknowledging that there's a God who is hearing and present. So prayer then, practiced by the people of God, is an acknowledgement of the presence of God. The existence of God who is open to relationships, our Father in heaven. And secondly, praying admits to specific responsibility. When you pray, And in that text, it also tells you what and how to pray. A responsibility that we have. It is also one of a display of awareness of personal human limitations. Give us. I'm asking for it to be given to me because I can't get it myself. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. I can't forgive myself. Even if I try unless you enable and empower me to do so. And to also forgive one another. I'm in praying aware of my limitations personally as a human being. Fourthly, it reveals a yearning for God's action in my life. Deliver us. There are some things I told you and I cannot resist. Only one thing is going to keep us from it is the delivering power of God by His Spirit. And the people of God standing around to hold us accountable. It acknowledges responsibility and accountability. Our Father, give us. We pray. It's not I and me and myself. It invites us to become relational people in an intentional way. It also reveals that sense of engaging with God and humans in the sense of being personal and yet communal. On this note, Arthur Boer says in his book, Lord, teach us to pray. That the use of the term, our Father, in praying undermines, undermines individualism and underlines community and interdependence. It reflects the language of kingdom citizens, holy family members. Richard Foster points out to its corporate nature a specific discipline. Or rather, spiritual discipline. Boris continues to claim that the frequency of the names Father for God, as used by Jesus over 170 times in the Gospel, reinforces the importance for intimate relationship rather than male domination. It's about intimate relationship. Moreover, as a metaphor, it intimates love that elicits obedience, trust, and inspires love in turn. Relationship. So praying, praying transforms us into being like Jesus. We don't leave the presence of God when sincere praying has been done. We don't leave the same way. The Spirit is saying, Go another way. 
same way you've been praying for, I'll be there with you and for you. Go that way. Praying. In conclusion, praying includes resting. After all that is said and done. Do I really trust God, Sister Shauna? I know I trust God when I'm walking away with a sense of peace that God is going to take care of that now. But if I'm still anxious and upset and uptight and what have you, something is wrong. I need to spend some more time with the Lord. I need to stay a little longer in His presence so that He can do what He needs to do in me and, and through me and for me and with me. Until that time I shouldn't leave. Because I'd be more terrible. I'd be like my granddaughter. Say, I don't believe God. You know why? Things got worse. And maybe God was simply saying, wait a little longer. Stay a little closer. Listen a little more. Prayer includes resting. I will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven. That's trust. That's dependency. That is a confident in the relationship that I have with the one who cares for me, no matter what's going on around me. Yeah, trouble conquers us when relationship falters. I mean, faith praying as just requesting rather than relating to the one who engages our entire being intimately. Brothers and sisters, let's stop saying prayers. And let us start praying. It's a conversation based on a relationship. While I was wondering what to share in this chapel, I was listening to the CJLU, Christ Jesus Love You, that radio station, Christian radio station. And I was listening to Discover the Word as I was traveling down here on Monday morning. And uh, one of the Participants of that program shared how her grandson had a similar experience as my granddaughter. And his experience was that he was visiting this missionary meeting. Wonderful things were happening. And they were challenged to give up everything they have if they trust God. And God will supply their need. And guess what he did? He was just preparing for university. He sold his car. And all the money he worked for in the summer, he just donated it. Decided he's going to trust God when school opens. School open. School open. Classes began. Seek and ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find out and the door shall be opened. Nothing happened. The long and short of it was that he pushed him away from the God he believed in. At the end of the story, he was really struggling to come back to his faith in university and trying to make ends meet, trying to work in all kinds of jobs. It happens. When we treat prayer as a request, setting it interferes with relationships and somebody leaves reluctant of the relationship 
resistant of it and perhaps drifts away from it. What's your prayer life like? Are you a praying Christian? Or one who says prayers? One writer says, I often say my prayers, but do I ever pray? And do the wishes of my heart go with the words I say? I may as well kneel down and worship gods of stone and offer to the living God a prayer of words.